Welcome to Preaching for Change, a podcast designed to present biblical ways to become more like Jesus. We hope that this message will help guide you toward positive, Christ-centered change. By reviewing this podcast, you could be part of spreading the good news. Please also consider giving a donation to our ministry at cometoabc.com giving. As always, these messages are available to copy and share on social networks. Until next time, continue to grow in Jesus. have witnessed a Christmas meltdown. Maybe some of you are trying to figure out what I'm talking about. I'm talking about where a kid just loses it Christmas Day. There is too much going on. There's too much stimulation. And I got an example. Let's see the video here. This is a small example of a little girl losing it. Who's next? I love how mom just moves it aside. All right, who's next? Let's forget this tantrum. Have you ever witnessed a tantrum before? A tantrum to a gift. I've seen my kids do that before. Aiden's first Christmas. I couldn't believe it. I could not believe it. I think we got him one gift. But he was the first grandkid on both sides. We had four or five Christmases. It was overload for him. Eventually, he was just like ripping paper off and chucking things. And I, I knew it was going to happen, and it did. Boom! He just freaked out, cried. The funny thing is, as adults, I don't know if we go too far away from that sometimes. It's not over presence that we usually do it. It may be for a completely different reason. My mother, when I was a teenager, loved Christmas. But she is a little bit of a protagonist, a protagonist, procrastinator, actually. I was a protagonist most of the time. She was a procrastinator in, in that she would get up Christmas morning and she would start stuffing all of the presents into wrapping paper. And I say stuffing because it was happening quick. And she would inevitably have bought something in July that she forgot where it was. So she'd be searching for it. And she would say, I know you have more presents. I just don't know where I hid them. <laughs> she, she didn't know where it was. Well, we would all sit down somewhere around 3 o'clock. Yeah, it took that long before we got to opening anything. 3 o'clock, and we would start opening things little by little. And in a house of 10... This takes a while. And, and they weren't elaborate gifts. They weren't huge. A lot of them were pants and clothes and things that she got from the local neighborhood center that she waited in line for hours to get the Christmas gifts for us. But she always did something that I really found strange. She would sit on the couch and watch us open and she would start crying. Not like boo-hooing and jumping on the floor like that. But more just like tears would come down her tree, cheeks. And I never understood until finally one Christmas I got up the nerve. And I said, Mom, why are you crying? She said, well, I just wanted everything to be perfect. I wish I could have given you more. I wish it could have been perfect. 
And like a guy, I would try to fix it. <laughs> I'd say, you know, there is no perfect Christmas, right? There's, there's not that hallmark moment that we expect where everything's rosy and perfect and, and everything is just in the right place and as it should be. Because it's real life, right? It, it seems that just like that little girl, she was looking for something more. She was expecting something more. This Christmas, I want to focus on that for a few Sundays. About how we can be looking for something more and we can miss the real meaning, the true reason for Christmas. And we can even overlook the uniqueness of what God has done for us in Christmas. That Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, came to us. It's such a different idea. There's no other religion that has that happen. A Savior that comes and is born in humble circumstances and lives a hard life and then dies for the whole world. I want to look at a few verses this morning. We're going to have them up on the screen. There's a few in your bulletin as well. Isaiah 7.14, and this is a prophecy of Jesus. It says, All right, then the Lord himself will give you the sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and we will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. God is with us. It's, a, it's such an incredible thing, and I think we kind of gloss over it sometimes because it's just a story that we know. But when we really look at what happened in Scripture, we see how difficult it must have been. Luke 2, 3-7 tells part of the Christmas story. It says, All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for the census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, his fiancée, who was now obviously pregnant. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her first child, a son, and she wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. Have you ever tried to get a hotel room after you've been driving? There's a few Christmas trips that I had with my folks when I was in high school and middle school where we had the brilliant idea of driving to Massachusetts right around Christmas. In order to do that from where we lived, we would have to go through a little city called Buffalo. <laughs> Let me tell you something about Buffalo. <laughs> Buffalo gets a ton of snow. Did you guys see the pictures from uh, about three weeks ago when they just got six feet of snow? And there was drifts up to the second story windows, snow bursting in the windows. Well, we had this rickety van. And when I say rickety, it was rickety. It had no insulation. It was a service van someone had bolted seats into. And it had a heater in the back, which sounds really good. But by the time the water got to the back, all of the heat had left it. <laughs> We would sit there and we would grab onto it to warm our hands, the heat pipe. You'd feel the warm water running through there. 
Well, anyways, we were driving through Buffalo towards Massachusetts, and you know what happened, of course? A snowstorm hit. And we had to find lodging. Luckily, by God's grace, we found a motel. And 10 of us were in one room. And this was the scenario that we used to get in. Mom and dad checked in, and then all of us snuck into that one room. And we all slept on that two beds. But we were very happy because it was warm. Can you imagine David? They're going back to the town of David where David's ancestors all lived, Bethlehem, and you have Joseph who's taking Mary with him. She is obviously pregnant. That means she's what? Don't say it, guys. She's just obviously pregnant. She's obviously pregnant, and he's taking her there. It's about a 70-mile trip, which doesn't sound like a whole lot right now. But back then, it was tremendous. A 70-mile trip he goes on. And he's taking her there. And he must be thinking, why, God, why would you allow the census to happen when your son is going to be born? And maybe some way along, uh, along the path, when they're getting closer to Bethlehem, she starts going into early labor. This is not a happy time, is it? Realize that there is no medicine waiting in Bethlehem. <laughs> there is no midwife waiting in Bethlehem. It's Mary and Joseph. And they knock on the door of that inn. And what's the response? There's no room. There's no room. Why don't you go check out the stable? Now, I would think that as Joseph in this situation, I would be thinking, God, can't you give us a break? It's your son. I mean, you knew this was going to happen. Couldn't you have made a reservation at the end? Couldn't you have sent somebody somewhere else? But no, instead, Jesus is going to be born in a manger, in a stable. How many of you have been asked whether or not you were born in a barn? <laughs> Do you think Joseph ever asked that question? Jesus, were you born in a barn? Why, yes I was, Father. You know that as well as I. Literally born in that. Now, interestingly enough, I had never seen this before, but in my studies in these last few weeks, this came up. In Micah 4.8, it says, As for you, watchtower of the flock, stronghold of daughter Zion, the former dominion will be restored to you, and kingship will come to, da to daughter Jerusalem. The watchtower of the flock is a direct reference to a specific location in Bethlehem. And that specific location is a tower, which under the tower is the stable where the lambs are born. And not just any lambs or any sheep. These specifically are the lambs that go to Jerusalem. They make that big travel. And they are slaughtered there as sacrifice for sins. Isn't that interesting? There is a theory that could possibly be true, because we see it later on in Scripture, that the heralding angels gave the sign that the baby will be wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And the shepherds out in the fields, remember, they know exactly where to go in Bethlehem. There's a theory that where they went was to that watchtower. And isn't it apropos that Jesus, the Savior, 
the sacrifice of all mankind would be born in the same place that for hundreds of years the sacrificial lambs were born. He is the Lamb of God, isn't He? He is born so that we can be made whole. Often we leave Jesus in the manger at Christmas. That's, that's our thought process. But remember, He grows up to be a man, right? He fulfills so many prophecies. There are over 300 prophecies in Scripture that reference Jesus Christ coming. And they're in varying degrees. We read a few of them just now. Over 300. Did you know just eight of those? Just eight of these being fulfilled by one person. The number is 10 to the 17th power. Just eight of them. And there's 300 of these prophecies that are fulfilled. Many of these things that Jesus himself couldn't just do. I mean, he can't choose to be born there. God sends him. All of these things coming together to create this narrative. This giant story that is still going out. This gospel. This good news. Why did God send Jesus the way he did? Why did God send Jesus the way he did? Isaiah 9, 6. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This is who Jesus is. A child is born to us. He wasn't just born back then, he's born to us, for us, for you. A son is given. Why did God send Jesus the way he did? Luke 19.10 For the Son of Man came to seek and save who are lost. The Son of Man came to seek and save who are lost. Have you ever been lost lately in your car? <laughs> Luckily, we have GPS and things like that a lot of the time, so we know where we're going. We can find our way. Indianapolis has a, a great way of labeling the streets, and you can kind of find your way back. We were all born lost, weren't we? How many of you occasionally still get lost spiritually? We wander. Like sheep, we wander and we are led astray. But Jesus came to gather us together. There's another prophecy in Psalm 22, 16 to 18 that points towards the cross and what would happen to Jesus. And, and this is amazing because David is writing this. He says, My enemies surround me like a pack of dogs. An evil gang closes in on me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. My enemies stare at me and gloat. They divide my garments among themselves and throw dice for my clothing. God knew what was going to happen before it happened. David wrote about it in Psalms. The interesting thing is, 
is, is next week we'll look at it a little bit more. The disciples and even Mary didn't really completely understand what was going on. They didn't understand uh, what Jesus was called to do in that time when he came. They were looking for something more. Why would Jesus send his son to be pierced, to be broken, to be spit upon, to be raged at, to, to be ridiculed? Why would Jesus come down to earth and, and take on such a humble form, not to be born as a king, an earthly king, but as the savior of the world in a manger, a place where animals are? Why would that happen? I think uh, Zechariah 9, 9 tells us. It's another prophecy of Jesus. It says, Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king, king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble. Riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. Could God have made it any more humble for Jesus? Born around stinky animals. Born in a small, tiny town. Born where the sacrifices were. Born to a mother and father who were of no earthly financial value. Born into a people, the, the Jewish people, that were, were not seen as victorious, were not seen as a large nation, were seen as the underdog all of the time. Yet this is where our Savior came from. God showed ultimate humility in putting on skin and coming as an infant for us. Why did he do that? Do you think if God is leading by example and coming down to us and, and showing us the way that we should go and he's saying, follow me, do you think he wants us to be humble occasionally? I just want to tell you right now, I'm probably the most humble person in this whole room. <laughs> yeah, right. That's a joke, right? There's this really good saying um, by John Flavel. He says, they that know God will be humble. And they that know themselves cannot be proud. The older I get, the more I get to know myself, the less I can have pride. And the older I get and the more mature I get in my faith, the more I understand who God is the more humble I am. And the more I realize I don't have a clue of the greatness and the wonder of God and the majesty. I've heard the Christmas story thousands of times of Jesus coming to us, yet every time I hear it, I see something new. This year, humility in it has really hit me. God did not think of himself so largely that he just came down in fire. 
But he comes down as an infant, born of a virgin, into difficult circumstances. Do you think that if God is willing to humble himself, that he may ask you to be humble in certain situations? Amen? And we don't want to say amen to that. That's not fun. But it's true. Do you think if God is willing to humble himself, there may be a chance that he's going to ask you to be humble for the sake of humanity? For the sake of those around you? Scripture tells us time and time again, that a couple of things that God abhors is a haughty spirit. Basically someone who's stuck up. And he dislikes pride. And I'm not talking about taking joy in what you're doing and doing it well. That's a completely different thing. I'm talking about somebody who thinks they're better than everyone else. And that things are, certain things are below them and they're above everyone. Jesus, God himself, came down to earth and lowered himself into humility and humbleness. D.L. Moody said this, be humble or you'll stumble. Everyone say it. Be humble or you'll stumble. Be humble or you'll stumble. It's pretty simple, isn't it? Be humble or you'll stumble. See, God may be asking you to do something that makes you feel awkward, that makes you look bad maybe, that makes you feel like you're lowering yourself. He may be asking you to serve in a way somebody that doesn't seem like they're worth serving. But I want you to know this. That God came while we were yet perfect. Is that true? That God came while we were worth it. Is that true? That God came while we were yet sinners. Sinners. Not worth it. Not worth the payment. He came even though he knew many of us would reject him. Jesus came. And so if he asks you to do something that doesn't seem like it's fun. That doesn't seem like it's worth it. Remember that he already did it. That he understands and he humbled himself. Martin Luther King said it this way. If a man is called to be a street sweeper, he should sweep the streets even as Michelangelo painted or Beethoven composed music or Shakespeare wrote poetry. He should sweep streets so well that all the hosts of heaven and earth will pause to say, here lived a great street sweeper who did his job well. I want you to know that in the kingdom of heaven there are no small jobs. That when we get to heaven and we enter into the presence of the Lord, he will not ask us how popular we were, how many people knew our name, how many Twitter followers we had, whether or not we were famous or fabulous in our community. What he will judge us on are the jobs that he predestined us before the foundations of the earth to complete. The things that he specifically designed you and me for will be what we are held to. So God has called you to be a street sweeper. 
and you sweep those streets. There are no small tasks when God is asking of us. He's not going to grade you according to Billy Graham or Mother Teresa. He's going to grade you according to His plan. Humility can keep us in line with where we're supposed to go. Isaiah 55, 3-7. This is, is a verse that when you read it, you can't help but see Jesus. He was despised and rejected. A man of sorrows, acquainted with the deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weakness he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God. A punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion. Crushed for our sins. He was beaten so that we could be whole. And he was whipped so that we could be healed. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep is silent before the shears, he did not open his mouth. That's a prophecy of Jesus. That's what he did for you. That is what he did for you. That is what he did for me. That's what he did for everyone. And that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That he died for our transgressions. He died for every wrong thing we have ever done and ever will do. He has paid the price. He was the perfect lamb born where the lambs were born. Now he's seated at the right hand of the Father. Interceding, praying for us day and night. Gently asking us to follow him. Maybe you have felt at times that God doesn't even exist. Or if he does exist, he doesn't know what it's like to be you. He doesn't know the difficulties that you're going through or have gone through. There are times where we can feel very deep, Distant from God. Very separated. Hebrews 4.15 tells us that we do not have a God that doesn't understand our weaknesses. That we have a God, Emmanuel, <laughs> that came here to us. We have a God that fulfilled prophecy. We have a God who didn't remain detached from his creation, but put himself in the middle of it so that you could know him. So that I could know him. He knows us, but now we can know him. Let's pray. Before we pray, Bev, could you go get Emily, please? Thank you. Lord, 
I thank you that we have a God who understands our deepest desires. And according to that verse that we just saw on the screen, that he, he knows what it's like to be tempted in every way. He knows what it's like to go through suffering and persecution. He knows what it's like to have physical anguish and pain, and mental anguish and pain. He knows what it's like to struggle and not know where his next meal is coming from or not know where his head is going to be that next night. He knows exactly what that feels like. He is not removed from his creation, but he loved us so much that he came for us. Lord, I, I want to admit that at times I am not humble the way you are humble. Never humble the way you are humble. That there's times where I get puffed up and I think that certain things are below me and, and certain things are above me. And I, I take my eyes off of you and I look at other things. If there's anyone else in here that has... Occasionally a problem with humility. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. I want to pray over you. Lord, I pray that we would be a humble people. That we wouldn't be stuck up with our noses in the air. Because when we're like that, we can't see the people that need you. We can't see beyond ourselves. God, give us a true Christ-like humility. Realizing that there is nothing... That is below us if you ask us to do it. That we are willing to go and do that. Maybe you're here this morning and, and you haven't committed your life to Christ. Or you're like those sheep. You feel like you've gone astray. Like you've, you've messed up one too many times. You've drifted away. And you're in need of coming back to Jesus. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand if that's you. Alright Lord. We pray right now for those people that raise their hands. God. That they would see you as the great shepherd. They would see you as the great counselor. They would see you as the savior. That they wouldn't be pounded by guilt. But they'd be transformed through the renewing of their mind and their spirit. In Christ Jesus our savior. I pray for wholeness and completeness in Jesus name. I pray that you would be our leader. And as a church, that you would be the head of the church and we would follow you. God, give us the strength because there are times where we drift. There are times where we see something shiny and we go down the wrong path. Help us to follow you one step at a time. One simple step at a time. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope that this message will help guide you toward positive, Christ-centered change. By reviewing this podcast, you could be part of spreading the good news. Please also consider giving a donation to our ministry at cometoabc.com giving. As always, these messages are available to copy and share on social networks. Until next time, continue to grow in Jesus.